Wow, look at that. Everybody just knew. It's like the perfect time. And <laughs> this is cool. I get to be the first one to preach with that wall down. Just saying. But it just, everybody just migrated backwards. <laughs> I should like move down here. Anyways, let's pray before we start going into the Word. God, just work in our brains and in our bodies and in our whole systems and in our community that is all connected. And uh, you're holding all that together and help us understand what you are thinking about when you think peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Those kids are awesome. I think the kids, they're like, what is peace? And they're just like, uh, I think they don't know how to articulate because it's like a fish in the ocean, right? A fish doesn't know it's in water because it's just swimming in it. I think childlike faith is just swimming in peace. But so when I think of peace, my brother, when we <laughs> were kids, we had like Christmas decorating parties with the family and we'd have Christmas music playing and we'd go over to a tree in Nativity and we'd be like putting stuff on it and the home video, the big huge recorder that you have to put on your shoulder my dad had, we were using that and it's on the counter. Everybody leaves and my brother's just left there alone. He forgets the recorder's on. He's like dancing around with the Christmas music. This is my best impression of him dancing. And he like does this and then he's what? Bam! Smashes the couch. Does a cartwheel. But that's Christmas as a kid. This peace causes you to dance. And so we're going to look at this. This whole time we're looking at, this whole Advent season we're looking at childlike faith, childlike perspective on life that's healthy and contrasting, I'm contrasting that with the childish perspective on life. So there's this childish perspective where it's profound in the West. We kind of think God is like Santa Claus, right? He's a white man up there somewhere, up there somewhere with a white beard, take, taking a list, checking it twice. You better watch out, right? But that's childish. That's a childish view of God, and that does not create peace. I mean, that view of God creates all these childish squabbles that are making the world around us crumble. And it causes us to have this view of, of Scripture, even, that Scripture is all about this timeline, and your life is this timeline that's going along, and if you at some point have a certain ritual or get some certain knowledge in your head or get baptized or something, then when you die, you go up to heaven. And God's watching you, so you better watch out. But that's not the story of the Bible at all. So we're going to track this concept of peace throughout the Bible. Peace is where God is bringing heaven and earth together again in us and in our communities. So something about peace is not yet, like the second advent is not yet. 
But something about peace is now also. And it's not the timeline. It's not an evacuation plan. It's not like fire insurance. It's actually much more complicated and much more beautiful than that. It's way better news. It's more organic. It's not manufactured. It's not commercialized. It's not buzzing noise. This, like, this view of peace that is childish is manufactured. It's this peace through domination, like um, the Romans. So the Romans are like, okay, we're going to dominate the world, and then there will be peace because nobody's going to fight us. A childish view of peace is just the absence of violence, but that just leaves in a vacuum. Peace, Jesus' life especially, teaches us that peace is actually a fruit. And you can't manufacture a fruit and duct tape it to a tree. That's not good fruit. That's going to be rotten. But this fruit is produced in us. Like Mary, when the angel announces to her that she's going to have this baby that's going to bring peace. She says, let it be unto me. And this fruit is produced in her. It's not mustered up. It's not something you're like, I need more peace. (laughs) It's actually this life that's flowing through that produces a fruit. Like It's like sap. And then this beautiful vineyard occurs. That's us. It's not like the acquiring of more knowledge... And you always will know a tree by its fruit. And every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. That sounds bad. If you don't like it, it wasn't me. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. (laughs) But let's track peace through the whole Bible. At the beginning of everything... There's the Trinity, right? There's this relationship, this dynamic, constant outflowing, inpouring of God. There's this dance. And, and productivity is not the goal of God, but this outflowing, this relationship, this dynamic tension, give and take, like a water wheel constantly pouring out, and the byproduct is this energy that can produce things. But in the beginning, in Genesis, there's darkness and chaos first. And then God says, let there be light. And then there's all this complex life and relationships and dynamic stuff that happens. So, we're going to track this concept of peace through Scripture. And um, our students in youth and student ministries, this is like one of the main things we do is track concepts through Scripture. And they actually know the overarching narrative of Scripture and are learning that. And that's part of the goal of the whole thing. And they teach us a lot, partly because they're childlike. They're children, and young adults, so they're close to childhood. 
But like Mary, they're close enough to childhood to have these insights into the heart of God. And they have a lot to teach us. So we're going to watch a video that we watch in student ministries stuff, and we'll talk about it. It's great. Hit it! The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility, patience, and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciles all things in heaven and earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work. Because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. All right, that's it. I don't have to say anything else. No.
this is cool actually the we talked about this last night with high schoolers they you guys got to ask them about it because they had so much to teach me and they're going to have so much to teach you especially with that reference to colossians at the end man that is a rich book on peace for sure but we see that this biblical concept and definitely what jesus is thinking about when he's thinking about peace and paul when he's thinking about peace, is this shalom, this wholeness, like a unity, a diverse connection, um, and wholeness. So that contrast, this childish view of this dualism where you're separating things, separate, 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 and like, like Rome would have been, is separating everybody else out, and then whoever's outside stays out, and they don't attack us because we have the power, and everybody inside conforms, and then there's peace. That's not the peace that Jesus is thinking of, or Paul, or the whole Bible. <laughs> so we see that the shalom starts in the garden, and then sin disturbs the peace, or breaks down the complex bricks that fit together into a unified whole. Or sin is acting less than fully human or acting as an incomplete human kind of breaks down this overlapping of heaven and earth, God's space and our space. Um, Then we track it forward to Jesus. His life begins and ends. His, His book ends. Peace, right? Angels pronounce peace. And then when he comes back, and appears to the disciples, he says, peace. That's the whole deal. The angels proclaim it to the shepherds. And Jesus, he was a good Jew. He sang about peace his whole life. He walked around singing psalms, and the psalms have a lot to say about peace. He's going around singing about shalom. And then Mary, we talked about, she didn't do anything. She said, let it be unto me. And she, she made space to bear God to the world. She only had to be a womb. She didn't have to do a womb. She's a branch attached to the vine, and the fruit she produced redeems and restores the world. Peace is grown in her and through her. And it is complex. It's so complex that Mary sings about it, which Mark talked about last week. But her song, life is breathed into her, and her song talks about this peace that should be unsettling to a lot of us. She sings, It's a peace where God has put down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of low degree. God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich God has sent empty away. For Mary, this this kind of peace is a breath of life. She's marginalized. She's She's at risk of being killed for her pregnancy. But for some of us, this peace could be unsettling. 
It's either a breath of life or unsettling. Either way, that's the point. The call of Jesus is faith expressing itself in love, not beliefs expressing themselves in exclusion. So this peace isn't just an absence of violence. It's not just quiet. Sometimes it has to look like like thrashing around with a hammer, smashing idols. That's what the prophets are all about. This piece that Mary sings about is revolution or change. It's a demolition of a bad wall with the purpose of rebuilding a strong foundation. So it's not an imperialistic piece like Rome claims or a colonial piece that Enlightenment claims. If you look at the life of Jesus, it's a piece that can only be found by solidarity with the marginalized. We see Mary is marginalized, and there's peace. Jesus goes to the marginalized, and there's peace. He brings peace. And he's, we just don't think about this, he's bringing peace to the Pharisees when he's thrashing around, smashing their idols. They think they're worshiping the one true God and creating this shalom, but they're actually worshiping a system, and that breaks apart the shalom, the wholeness. So it's this Trinitarian peace, a constant pouring out and lowering yourself and being poured into, not trying to, not trying to fill yourself up or move up. The first time I like, got a glimpse of this was at Christmas. I was sitting by the fire, and there's the Christmas tree up, and I was warm by the fire looking at it, and I was like, hmm, just kind of in stillness. And I realized if I dim, dim the fluorescent buzzing light bulb of our, my brain and the noisy world and commercialized Christmas in America, it can feel like darkness. But think to Genesis and think to the shepherds and think to Mary. If you sit there in the dark night of the soul and just be still with God, there's actually life. God shows up in the superluminous darkness. And then in this piece we realize we're not just a buzzing and manufactured electric light bulb. There's actually a tiny flame of love, this warmth. And actually, flame of love is a name for the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. God in us. And Advent is a chance to dim the lights down and notice the warmth of these flames in each other and in ourselves. And then this dynamic unity happens where we're all made whole. And this piece isn't a reaction against chaos or violence. It's free. Just like God is free. He's free to create everything. He's free to love. He's free to reveal God's self, to become matter, to become flesh, to become human. He didn't have to. He wanted to. 
but why? You've got you to ask why all the way back. Keep asking why to the beginning of everything. The nature of the Trinity tells us the ground of all being is relationship. Creation itself is a game of love. And then Jesus said, basically it's a game where the losers win and the winners lose. The last are first and the first are last. That's good news. I think Martin Luther King got it. He said, if we're to have peace on earth, our loyalties must become ecumenical rather than sectional. So, different denominations working together. Our loyalties must transcend our race, our tribe, our class, our nation. And this means we must develop a world perspective. Which today is, we have that opportunity to have a world perspective like no other time. But let's look deeper into this relationship, this play that creates shalom. It's peace is a dance with reality itself. I love dancing, so maybe I'm biased in this uh, metaphor. <laughs> but it's realizing reality is to be related to, not seen as an object to be used or dominated. There's this awesome theologian, Martin Buber. He's a Jewish theologian. And he calls it the I-thou relationship versus a mere I-it relationship. We can't see people as its or even the rest of creation as an it because we're connected to it and we're, we all make up a unified whole. So I wonder what it looks like to build peace one brick at a time, one word at a time, one thought at a time. What does that dance look like? It's funny, this peace is a sort of stillness in a sense, but it always leads to action. And it always gravitates towards the margins. I, I was asking why. Like, why does Jesus always go towards the margins? Why are the prophets always saying, you're not taking care of the marginalized? That's why there's not shalom. They say that to Israel thousands of times. But we see in Scripture that throughout Scripture, it's in the deepest darkness that grace is reborn. Or even born for the first time. The angels come to the shepherds at night in the darkness. It seems like everything in the Bible that's good started at night. In contrast to day, Day is like a time of certainty, a time when you know and you feel safe and you feel like, oh, I got this. And you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mary and Joseph were probably despairing. They were definitely despairing. It would be deadly to have a baby in a barn. It would be deadly to get pregnant and not be married. And they go, there's no room in a clean place where there's less risk. And they go to a barn. And then, guess who shows up? 
God shows up. So maybe the opposite of peace is not anxiety. Maybe the opposite of peace isn't even violence. Maybe it's certainty. Maybe peace is the dynamic power of change. Or the tension between anxiety and stillness. Because you can't have music without tension. And you can't dance without music. So what's the good news of the story? Of the whole Bible? Maybe it's when darkness is most profound and when you feel the most soiled and dirty like the shepherds felt. They were marginalized. Nobody wanted that job because they always seemed unclean. Maybe it's when you feel the most despair. That's when Jesus is born in you. That's peace. And then you can bear him to the world. Or rejected by everybody. Maybe that's when Jesus is born in you. That's when the angels come and announce peace. It's really counterintuitive, honestly. That's why you know this is inspired. Because who would come up with this? (laughs) And then, this announcement of peace, this announcement of Messiah ends up with a crucified king. Crucifixion is a public shame. It's like the ultimate breaking of shalom. But not for Jesus. He's not going to bring peace through violence. That's what they're hoping for. And then he's crucified and they're like, oh, we don't even get it at all. But he absorbs the violence. The good news of this piece is that the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is announcing is the turning upside down of everything. And there's some people that get it, like Francis of Assisi. He chucks all his belongings, even his clothes, in front of this guy and walks away naked and lives in solidarity with the poor for the rest of his life. And in a short period of time, he has a bunch of people that are like, oh, he gets it. We're going to be like that. (laughs) Stinky. (laughs) And then Mother Teresa got it too. And India is chaotic. Calcutta is crazy chaotic. But this is the Mother Teresa that talks about prayer as mutual listening, like Mark talked about last week. Mutual stillness, mutual outflowing. And where'd she go? She went to the marginalized and the dying. Meister Eckhart said, nothing in all creation is so like God as stillness. And then that stillness always leads to action. So maybe peace isn't just the absence of violence or chaos, but this sort of dynamic stillness and dance in the midst of it. It's the grace to mutually be with God, and be with the rest of reality. A dance with rhythm and tension and mutuality. A mystery of stillness and movement, especially in the darkness. There's not much answers 
in that. So hopefully the questions that you have move you to the stillness and the action to create peace. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for always revealing yourself more and more. Help us be present with you now. Thanks for this time where you are working to create wholeness and using us to do that in the world. And help us with that. Thanks for music and Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.